1: You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast, season two, episode number 20. New Cubs bullpen questions have arisen. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. In this segment, Crawley interviews the voice of Sloan Park, Tim Sheridan, celebrating 40 years as the P announcer for Cubs spring training. Joining me now on the Fly, the W podcast, I am happy to have on Tim Sheridan, the voice of Cubs Spring Training. Tim, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Looking forward to a nice uh, game out at Sloan Park uh, this afternoon. Yep.
1: Well, I was excited because when I was in Mesa, I got to see you. You looked great. And you handed me a limited edition... Tim Sheraton baseball card autographed and and numbered so I was excited and that's why I wanted to have you on for people that don't know you've been the PA announcer for 40 years this is your 40th year doing the PA announcements uh I mean when 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 that hit you at the beginning of this season like how did that how did that go through your head as far as could you believe how quick the time has flied Does it seem like yesterday It's uh,
0: one of those things, definitely, where I kind of scratch my head and say, uh, "How did forty years go by that quickly?" (laughs) Because, like, I still feel like I'm, you know, like a young kid, or I feel like I'm, I don't know, in my thirties or something. And if I'm actually have done DPA announcing for forty years, I can't be in my thirties. It just (laughs) the math doesn't work. So, um, yeah, it was kind of I. Thought about it ahead of time and knew it was a little bit of a milestone, you know, because 40 years doing anything is kind of a long time. So uh, just thought, hey, I should put together a little card and memorialize uh, this season. And, uh, you know, 40 years, what it does for me is it brings back, you know, a lot of stories, uh, great times at spring training, friends, people I've met over the years, uh, you know, who become like friends, like my Cubs friends. And I don't necessarily see all of them throughout the course of the year, but then it come back and there we are all, all again at spring training. And it's kind of like, you know, we never missed a step. We're just back being, you know, buddies at the Cubs games again. So yeah, it's as, as,
1: as much as people associate you with Arizona, you weren't, you, you don't, you weren't born and raised in Arizona. Is it was Minnesota.
0: Yeah. I was born and raised in Minneapolis and my family Uh, my mom and stepdad decided hey it's a little cold up here why are we living here well because their parents live there you know that whole thing and so they decided to uh, check out some warm weather instead and moved uh, to arizona as it turned out to the phoenix area um tempe originally and uh, so then i finished my last couple years of high school here in arizona and went to college in Arizona and basically lived my whole adult life in Arizona, which is actually a college class that brought me to Cubs spring training as the PA announcer. So
1: So is that something that you knew right away that you wanted to do, that you wanted to to, to go into broadcasting of some type?
0: I technically, uh, I had my mind at the time of uh, like a young college student, wasn't sure. Um, I was still figuring out that I wasn't going to be a major league baseball player. So that was traumatic when I realized that wasn't going to happen or, you know, I wasn't going to be a professional athlete. It's like, okay, where do we go from here? And I had a, a instructor who's uh, named Ron McIntyre over at Mesa community college. And at this time we're talking, you know, early 1980s. And he said, there's something that's coming out. Um, it's called uh, cable television and it's going to, open up a huge new landscape of jobs um in that industry and if you want to keep involved in sports there's going to be a lot of opportunity and so that was kind of why I decided to change i was looking at possibly teaching you know something about that because i wanted to possibly coach and so then i started thinking well you know money wise coaching and you know unless you make it to the top uh, teaching and coaching don't necessarily you know make you rich or anything and so i thought well I'm going to go this way because there's probably a lot of opportunities. And so that was how I was in a radio and TV announcing class. And they. I've told this story many times to people, but it's like they said, who wants to help out at Cubs spring training? And the quick arm up um, basically got me over there. uh, The spring of 1984, which, of course, was a great season to jump on board for the Cubs.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. when you talk about all the, all the, you know, of all the years to jump on board, 1984 really is what I tell people, the quintessential year, and you know, huge in Cubs history, because after 69, you know, there was a slow and steady decline in attendance. It used to be in the yep. 70s. They would close the whole upper deck of Wrigley Field. Like, people always assume that it's packed houses all the time. And it really was that 84 team that put it on the map. Now, you know, bring me back to 1984, that team didn't look that great in spring training until Dallas Green made a couple of late additions, and that was uh, Gary Matthews and Bobby Dernier. Do you remember how camp changed once those two guys kind of came aboard?
0: You know, uh, honestly, I, <laughs> I'll i be honest. I don't think I was as perceptive back then about spring training and, and you know, the what it can do and the changes that can happen. I was just kind of in awe of being there and, you know, being able to be in the press box with Harry Carey and, you know, all those guys that were um, the announcers at the time. So I was, you know, I thought I was a pretty astute baseball fan, but like I realized those were probably good moves, but I I couldn't see it at the time what it was going to do in the regular season. And later on, I realized that, you know, spring training, records don't mean anything it's really like in some of the some years where the cubs have done really well in the regular season their spring training record was not very good so you know there isn't really a correlation but i was later on down the line learning to understand the difference in managers and how they conduct things and, and if there's a new energy like when dusty baker came on board. And you could kind of see that that talented group coming, you know, around uh, 2003 or whatever. So I wasn't as astute in my first year. I literally was just like trying to figure it out. And they were telling me to, to do the public address, which I had never done before. So I was like a lot on my plate, you know, but I did be, I, I, it made me a Cubs fan because then of course, WGN was going on living here in Arizona. I got to watch all the games. So I was like, This is a pretty cool team. And I got to see them and, you know, announce their names in spring training. And now I'm watching them do this like incredible thing, something they really hadn't done since, you know, make the playoffs since 1945. So long drought.
1: Oh, yeah. And so you have actually had the opportunity to broadcast Cubs games in three different spring training facilities. You mentioned you started in 1984 and you went all the way to 1996 at old Ho-Ho Camp Park and then 1997 to 2013 to ho Stadium, and then 2014 to present-day Sloan now. What would you say are the differences between those parks when you think about all three of them? What kind of comes to your mind?
0: Well, it's literally night and day difference from old ho to Sloan. Uh, it's like old ho was one of those ballparks that was built on the cheap. It wasn't necessarily aesthetically pleasing to look at. It was concrete and, you know, metal. Um, and just, I don't know, it, it, it wasn't pleasant to look at. And yet at the same time, um, it was the place I started. And there was a, a really unique thing about that is the press box, which was wide open to uh, the elements to the fans. And you could literally reach out and touch the fans' heads that were seated on that back row to the press box. And then it was wide open going all the way down. So I was directly behind home plate. And I've told this story a million times too, but WGN radio on one side of me, WGN TV on the other side when they were broadcasting those games. And I was like, here I am and stuck in the middle. This kid, you know, just popped in there going, what? <laughs> but the cool part, what I was getting at is it was directly above the main concession stand so that smell of like you know the hot dogs the hamburgers the popcorn whatever that amalgam of like amazing ballpark smells was it was it was just like waft straight up and so every year when i'd come back i'm like the smell i'd be oh back at spring training you know it just like hit me that this is the place this is where i'm I'm back and and now sloan park is just like the -the state-of-the-art um facility uh, in spring training bar none. And I can't believe this is what's weird that it's already the 10th year of Sloan um, because it seems like that 10 years has gone by and like say 10 years here, 10 years there, it adds up to 40, which is crazy.
1: (laughs) Now you talked a little bit about, you know, WGN TV on your right and, and on the left, the radio and all that stuff. You have had the opportunity, you mentioned Harry earlier, you know, Milo Hamilton had been in there. Uh, you're, you're, you're talking about, I'm sure Tom Brenneman, um, oh, yeah, yeah. uh, we're, we're talking about Pat Hughes and Ron, Ron Santo. Santo exactly. Yeah. And I so love we,
0: sitting next to Ron Santo because, you know, here's a guy who's the quintessential Cubs fan, but was this great player and turned, you know, broadcaster, but he was, yeah, he was like one of us, you know, he was just a Cubs fan. So like, you could just see the energy that he had, even in spring training games, he didn't want to lose, you know? In fact, I I shot some video uh, one time. It was the last ball game ever played at Old Holocom. And so I knew that was going to be, you know, somewhat historic, the last uh, game of that particular ballpark. And it ended up going into extra innings, which they used to play back then. They don't do that really in spring training anymore. It's like nine if you're tied, we're done. Uh, But we were going to an extra inning. I think it was the 10th inning. And I had the cam. One camera was trained on uh, Ron and Pat doing their announcing, because it was like, this is historic, you know, these guys are, as we know now, looking back, is pretty special, but uh, it went into 10th inning, and you could, so this video they have, and people haven't seen this, but he's like, because everyone has a getaway, they got planes to catch, and you know, they got to get out to Wrigley, and he's like, slams his pen down, and he's like, extra innings in the last game, who would have thought, you know, all this <laughs> kind of stuff, and you know, they're a little bit crabby, and then uh, I think it was uh, Ozzie Timmons hit a walk-off home run to win it in the bottom of the tenth, and he just came out of his seat, and it was just like you could tell, it was like just happy as can be. It's like, and that's a spring training game, and he was just loving it. So yeah,
1: that that's definitely that's definitely the passion that Ronnie brought. Speaking of passion, one of the great experiences that you've gotten to have in your life was to announce to the crowd that it's time to sing along with Harry Carey the stretch. I mean, God, like I said, for, for somebody that grew up in the area that I did, you know, you, you got that job in 84, 84 is for me, my Cubs realization that first year that hooked me in Yeah, that had to have been, you know, you had to have known it was special at the time. And now looking back, you, you, I mean, clearly has to be a highlight to, to think about you being the, you know, the one that would announce that Harry carries, you know, sing along with Harry. I mean, tell me about that.
0: Well, and the cool part about it is the fact that um, I mean, the whole thing is is amazing. Looking back on it, and is all like special and and very cool. But uh, because they didn't have, uh, it was a very rudimentary PA system, um, and they didn't have all the audio stuff that they have now. Where at Wrigley Field, Harry would just sing off his you know WGN microphone, and you know they'd introduce him. He literally had to physically come over to me take my PA mic, and I would introduce him, and then start singing over the PA mic, so there was actual physical, you know, connection of handing him the mic, and doing that, and introducing him, so that was really special, and I was lucky enough to, you know, videotape, I would have my camera with me all the time back then, I started with 35 millimeter photography, and then went into, as soon as, like, kind of home video cameras came about, I just asked people, hey, do you mind if I bring this camera in the booth? And they're like, ah, you know, go ahead. They probably didn't think anything of it, but what I knew is I was capturing history. And there's one time, you know how Harry used to you know, wave the microphone around? I'm filming as he's doing that, he cracks my camera, <clears throat> hits the, you know, so you can hear it actually hitting the camera. Luckily, it didn't break it or anything, but um, so it was special. One of the times, um, or actually, I'd say it happened more than a few times. There is a locking mechanism on that PA mic, the old one that we had at Old Holocom, Uh And he once said earlier before the game or whatever, he'd say, Tim, when you hand me the mic, make sure that it's locked on. So I'm just ready to go. So, of course, you know, I would do that. Hand it to him and invariably he would say to the entire crowd, Tim, is this thing on? And so it's like, well, just like we discussed, Harry. Uh, yeah, it's on. So, and everybody else knows it now too. <laughs>
1: but, oh man, oh. just just those memories of Harry absolutely cracked me up. Uh, now, now, as you kind of sit here now and you think about uh, Sloan Park and the record that was broken on opening day this year, had. From all your time, your 40 years, have you seen kind of a growth as far as spring training, you know, as far as fan interest and and and, and kind of the business of, of spring training baseball?
0: Ah, oh, completely. It's like totally changed into the aspect of, I think back, you know, in the early mid eighties, I think the owners just thought of it as, you know, hey, we're just getting these players ready for the regular season. And then some, at some point, and I think that coincided with, uh, you know, WGN and cable coming out there that, hey, we could, you know, fans are coming out here to these games and they're interested and we can sell beer. We can do all that. So whenever that kind of, you know, it was probably somewhat gradual triggered, the owners are like, yeah, you know, we should uh, just keep on developing. And and that's kind of what happened. I remember uh, when I first started, they weren't even playing music. uh during the games, um, between innings or anything. And it was like a scrimmage game. That was because the Mesa Ho comms at the time were worried about getting um, charged money by ASCAP, the music licensing company. So it was like, oh, you know, they're trying to make money because they gave money to charity and that type of thing. I'm like, I said, you need music between innings. It's like the 1980s now we it's just like too dead. These people pay money here. You can't just have them you know sit around and um, and I didn't have any advertising to, to read back then either. It was like a couple pas for the program. Hey, you know, buy your program and that was it. And so along the way, uh, the whole comes had a lot of control and it slowly kind of was taken over by the Cubs. And so by the end of the, right before they moved off to Sloan Park um, in 2013, I think it was the last uh, year over at, at Holcomb, the newer stadium built in 90, between 96 and 97, they had someone who was in charge of selling advertising. And so they were trying to make as much money as they could. It was all probably money for them, money for the Holcombs. I literally got to a point where I was reading nonstop copy between innings, uh, you know, uh, advertising of all kinds. And when the Cubs came in, they said, you know what? We don't want to subject our fans to that. Nobody needs to hear, you know, whether it's a PA announcer reading this stuff or just hearing advertising coming at you, the whole, you know, between innings. And so now I I absolutely love it because they play cool videos on the big screen i have like a few reads here or there that are you know important tie-ins but other than that you know we concentrate on the seventh inning stretch uh, joe Montaigne just did it um yesterday or friday and uh so it for me i think it's a far better fan experience now but it was definitely old school and things have changed for you know making the dollar that's you know what the the world revolves around, it seems, so the owners know that.
1: Now, in 2015, the Cubs shocked everybody by making it – they made it to the NLCS four outs or four games away from the World Series. And so, you know, the 2016 team comes, and, you know, I'm sure spring training at that time was absolutely nuts, thinking that the Cubs were going to do it. What yep. feeling or vibe did you have watching those 2016 spring training games?
0: Yeah, it was one of those uh, incredible feelings. Uh, I think all the fans could sense that, and I could too, because I had really gotten into following the team and the minor league level and stuff by that point, even a long time before that. But um, because I was always looking like Cubs fans were who's going to be the next great prospect? Who's going to fill in? Who's going to become that third baseman that, you know, after Ron Santo? And, you know, besides Aramis Ramirez, there's like a pretty big drought of, you know, good third baseman over the years. But so you're always looking, whether it's the Gary Scott or Felix Pierre or, you know, those kind of Corey Patterson, who's going to be this you know, next great 5 tool player or whatever. Um, but by the time getting to do 2016, I was seeing that develop. I actually was at Fitch uh, Park um, shortly after uh, Theo Epstein was hired. And I'm filming as I had a habit of doing, you know, the, the guys who are working out and this was like, they called it like camp bussy off season type of thing. Um, and I look over and there's Theo Epstein just standing there by himself. And I'm like, I'm gonna go over and introduce myself. I mean, you know, I do the PA, so there's, I've got something to say. I'm not just a fan, even though I am. And he literally like told me a step-by-step of his plan to win the World Series. And I watched that thing just happen like that. And so by 2016, myself and everybody else started seeing everything coming together. And, you know, that was special. I think we broke like massive attendance records at Sloan Park that year before they'd won the World Series. You know, it's the spring of 16. So um, yeah, the vibe was something special. And I think it could be felt you know, throughout the whole complex over at Sloan.
1: And so where were you when they won it all in 2016? Where were you when, when, when Anthony Rizzo catches that final throw from uh, Chris Bryant, where were you at?
0: I, well, I, I wasn't in Cleveland, which I would have liked to have been. Um, but uh, in fact, I, you know, I didn't, who knew that they were going to win it all, but I wanted to uh, at least get to some uh, Cubs playoff games. So I was actually at, Um, the Cubs, when they played, uh, San Francisco, um, I was at the Wrigley field for two of those games. And so that was amazing. But by the time it got to world series, I was back down in Arizona and I was at a sports bar. So it wasn't as special. I mean, still 108 years, it was damn special, but yeah. So,
1: Well, the reason it is truly special is that you were the first PA announcer at a Cubs home game to say, Ladies
0: and gentlemen, your World Series champion, Chicago Cubs. Something like that,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, and, and I was not there. What was it like that very first spring training day when, when, when you got to say those words? I mean, that had to have been goosebumps. Oh. And the crowd had to have been going nuts.
0: It was crazy. And it was like, I was thinking to myself, man, I'm going to be because they won it in Cleveland, you know, and so... Of course, there's Cubs convention and different things that happen in between. But at a Cubs home game, albeit spring training, you know, I was the first one to be able to say that to, you know, 16,000 people. And it was I mean, I was just like floored and like super happy and intense and like say goosebumps. It was all of those things together. And I I know the fans, too, just like hearing those words that everybody had dreamed about for so long and had never been able to happen to say it. It was pretty awesome.
1: Now, as as far as 40 years of broadcasting, I'm sure that's probably one of your top memories of being the PA announcer. What would you say at HoHoCom or or at Sloan, whatever, in your spring training, what are some memories that really stick out for you of of 40 years of broadcasting?
0: Oh, my goodness. Um, Like I say, I think some of those memories uh, of the early days, being in between Harry and and Ron Santo and, and all that, I knew that it was really cool and I appreciate it. And this is why I filmed it at the time. But looking back, it's just like, I just was so lucky to be in the right place at the right time and in life. Sometimes that's what it's all about. You know, just like being in that class and raising my hand quickly. Um, So those are super special because they were, it was right next to me. Now when Sloan, and actually the new Holcomb was built um, before the 97 season, it was nice. I mean, let's face it, it had like, we all had big booths but it was separated by glass partitions. So Harry was only at that stadium for one year because he passed away before the next 98 season. And so he would come in and he was in a booth next to me but separated by a big glass partition. And when he would come in, he would rap on the glass. And I mean, I don't necessarily like to tell the story because I'm not trying to be braggy or whatever. It's just what happened. And he would knock on the glass and then he would do this (laughs) to me. And I'm like, Harry Carey is doing the, the freaking we're not worthy kind of thing. And, you know, so that's like a like super crazy thing. And I had Ernie Banks call me up. We were. You know, I was going to do an interview with Ernie Banks. And so he calls me up. And I he was like, I think he was in Chicago and the time change hasn't happened. So it was like two hours earlier. It's like five in the morning. I'm like, who? you know, who died? It's like, who's calling me? This is back before cell phones, of course, you know. So and it I could see it said Banks, Ernie or whatever on it. I'm like, holy crap. Ernie's calling me. And I pick it up and he's like, Tim Sheridan. Of course, he said this to a lot of people, I'm sure. But he's like, Tim Sheridan, you're the greatest. You're the greatest. I'm like. I know he says it to a lot of people, but it's just kind of, you know, those things are like, who would have thought that something like that Ernie Banks would be calling me up and saying something like that, or Harry would be doing that. I'd never, you know, when I raised my hand in that class all those years ago, I would have never guessed stuff like that would have happened, but you know, just part of the landscape.
1: (laughs) Now, now I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you, you have sat through a lot of Cubs spring training games. What do you see so far this year, uh, as far as what you see with the 2023 Cubs?
0: You know, I'm, um, cautiously optimistic, I guess is a word. And I wish, you know, um, we didn't have the injury to Suzuki. That's kind of, you know, an issue, but in a sense, it's letting us figure out who's, you know, who else can step up and and be there. Um, should, you know, there be an injury like that in the regular season or something. So hopefully, you know, he's going to be back soon. And hopefully Kyle Hendricks, you know, gets back to where he needs to be, but, um, so cautiously optimistic. I've been pleased with the pitching. Um, some of the pitching has surprised me in you know, some of the guys they brought in, some non-roster guys and, and different people. That So I think, I think the pitching might actually be a pleasant surprise. I am, like without Suzuki in that, I'm possibly concerned about the hitting, if there's you know, enough bats there to score as many runs as we need. But um, yeah, cautiously optimistic right now. So a lot of you know you hear people say, "Oh, they're going to be you know in the cellar," but uh, you know I think they might surprise people a little bit.
1: Now, now Tim, uh, where you talked about all the videos that you tend to take, and and people if they want to, they can go to your YouTube channel and and see some of these amazing spring training videos that you've had an opportunity to shoot over the years. Why don't you do me a favor? Tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter youtube any social media that that you have content that people can see because i've i've seen it before and you have a lot of great stuff that because of copyright issues and stuff with youtube we got to be careful with but but tell people where they can find it themselves
0: yeah basically um i have a website that i've had actually which is kind of also shocking that i think this is the 19th year so um boys of spring boys of and that was Basically, the thought was, I love the the uh, the Boys of Summer, the book about the Brooklyn Dodgers that Roger Kahn wrote. When I was a kid, I read that book, and it like you know huge baseball book. And so I thought, hey, my niche is spring, so I'll you know, be Boys of Spring, Boys of Summer. So I've had that website for 19 years, and you can access everything there. But also, if you type in Tim Sheridan YouTube or, you know, Boys of Spring YouTube, it'll all come up. Um, Same thing with Twitter and stuff like that. So you can find me basically anywhere between Tim Sheridan and Boys of Spring, a combination of that. Um, Everything is connected to my website, so you can see videos and and different things um, there. And uh, I had a guy, John Antonoff, who'd been um, a photographer, who had been shooting for me since, I think, 2011 or so for the website and he does an amazing job. So, um, uh, yeah, so there's just all kinds of content. If you're a Cubs fan and you haven't seen it, there's probably a few things you could enjoy there for a while. Yeah.
1: Yeah. John was on the show and he mentioned you, uh, the uh, baseball in focus is John's Twitter in case you're interested, but yeah, Yeah. stop. I I'm telling you, Cub fans, I have, I have seen Tim's work and, and it's, it really is is a trip down base cub memory lane is the way I would describe it to see these guys before they hit it big when they're young just having fun and, and kind of the atmosphere that Tim was describing of some of the older stadiums before kind of it got a little bit bigger when it was just kind of a bunch of guys just having fun and and talking smack and that and that Tim was kind of the fly on the wall on that so check that out for sure
0: yeah Tim, one of my favorite videos I was just going to say is the one with uh um, Sandberg, Grace, and Dunstan in the hitting contest over at Old Fitch Park, and they're, you know, they would score points by hitting doubles and home runs and all that, and, and Dunstan just, like, digs himself a hole, like, hey, I'm going to win, and whoever, whoever uh, loses got to pick up all the balls type of thing, and he's like, you know, Dunstan had a way of uh, talking, and, and so that was totally a fly-on-the-wall thing, And it's, I think it's maybe the video itself is, I don't know, five, six minutes long. It's not hugely long, but it just captures like a feel of spring training. Like, like you don't see possibly anymore of guys just having fun that they were actually friends and stuff. So yeah, that's one of my favorites. You know, there's stuff like that, that's just kind of classic stuff.
1: Well, Tim, I really appreciate you coming on. And if anyone is going out to spring training as well, maybe you can find Tim Sheridan and get yourself one of these cards for your collection i know i will be taking care of mine but tim i thank you so much for coming on we look forward to having you on in the future and and thank you so much for 40 years of, of being the voice yeah. of cub spring training it means a lot to cub fans you're, you're a welcome voice for those of us that go out there and we appreciate everything you've done for us
0: well thank you i just feel lucky to you know have been a part of it and still be here doing it you know I, hard to believe but yeah so thanks so much uh, Enjoy always talking about the Cubs. So anytime, you know, I'm here with the stories.
1: (laughs) All righty, Tim. We love you. You take care, bud.
0: You do, Collie. Take care.